everybody, by the way. Welcome. Um, what I'd like to do is, if there is someone near you that you'd like to talk to, then I'd like you to ask them what their most favourite meal has ever been. If you'd rather not talk to them, find someone you would rather talk to, just for a moment. Is that okay? So, favourite meal ever. Okay. So, um, we're going to do a bit of ready, steady... No, we're not. Um, Meals are a... Flicks obviously had a really good meal sometimes. Meals are an amazing thing, aren't they, actually? You know, if you've had a really good meal with good friends and great food, it's, it's something that you remember a long time, isn't it? Like, if you had a great meal when you were away on holiday somewhere or you invited a crowd of people around or it was just really amazing, you know, you, you, um, you have some really nice things, like really bad for you white bread. Who likes white bread, anyone? <laughs> yes, good, a few people are honest in this church. Um, so you have like, um, you, you know, you put some food out in front of you and obviously some fruit, which is good for you. Um, and some stuff to drink and um, a bit of pate. Anyone like pate? Yeah, and some good old cheese. And then if it's, you know, it's evening, summertime, you get a candle out, don't you? And some tomatoes. Anyone like tomatoes? Yeah, I love tomatoes. You can tell that I like food. I like food and I like meals with people. I had a really nice meal with Abby and Matt. Not Josiah, because he was in bed this week, but um, it was really fun. It was really nice, and we talked about loads of stuff. Meals are amazing things, and um, really good. They're places where you feel connected with others, and they create like a safe space for you to have conversations about things that you might not otherwise do. Um, I remember having a meal uh, with a friend who's really quite a busy person and um, his phone went off and he said, oh no, I'm having a meal with you and put his phone down, face down. In fact, he didn't, he put it away. Meals can be spaces where friendship is formed. You get to know people in a way you didn't know before. Good meals. And it's even more fun when you have loads of people around the table. It's good fun. Like we had a a load of us had a barbecue last week at Nathan's and Louise's. It's just good fun when you get loads of people together and everyone's there. But some of the most painful moments are when people are excluded from the table. Some of the most painful moments in my life and in your life will be times where the table wasn't open to you. I'll never forget a moment when um, I think I was about 14, 15, um, and at uh, the church that I grew up in, the, um, one of the ministers of our church uh, my mum had got, just got divorced 
And I will never, ever forget the minister speaking to my mum. He wasn't the normal vicar. He was a visiting vicar. But he knew that my mum was divorced and he said to her, your type aren't welcome. Because way back then, if you were divorced, the table wasn't open to you. The table was something that you were excluded from. Sometimes we can even exclude ourselves from the table because of shame. We can't sit here and enjoy the feast. We exclude ourselves because of inadequacy. We exclude ourselves because we just feel like we're not good enough to be there. Maybe some of us have experienced exclusion from the table because of associations that we have with others. There is shame put on us because we associate with people who are excluded from the table. Meals can be incredible, but they can also be some of the most difficult moments in people's lives. This, uh, this story, Cornelius, second in this series, where we're looking at moments in the life of the early church, pivotal moments. You have to understand that society there was hugely divided. There was a line, and you didn't cross the line. The division came through your ethnicity and your religion. And Judaism which Peter was a part of, was very much a closed group. And up until this point, the followers of Jesus were simply an offshoot of Judaism. They didn't have their own identity, and Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, were not part of this following of Jesus. They weren't at the table. The divisions weren't imaginary. They were based around some really clear guidelines. And that was to prevent pollution. Because the people who were in felt that the people who were out would pollute them. So they had all of these boundaries. And they had all of these rules and all of these guidelines to keep that cleanliness between them. So at this point, there's just one seat at the table. In Peter's mind, there's one seat at the table. And the restrictions between who was in and who was out of this following that Peter had of Jesus was very much based around food. You couldn't even eat food that had been prepared by a Gentile, by someone who wasn't a Jew, because you would be polluted. You couldn't even use the pots and pans 
there was a demarcation line. There was in and there was out. There was X and there was Y. There was X and there was not X. And God was for some, but not for all. One seat at the table. So we get to this story. We get to this story. And Peter is often seen as the central figure, isn't he? But I just want to make a suggestion to us today. What if we just focus attention on Cornelius just for a moment? So here's Cornelius. He's a man in charge of a hundred men. He's a centurion. He's not Jewish. He's Roman, so he's an authority figure. He's an outsider, but he's a God-fearer, and he prayed regularly. And this God-fearer encounters God and is told to approach the insider. The outsider is told to approach the insider. It's not us to them, it's them to us. The non-person approaches the in-person. And then in the story, we realize that the next day, Peter has this incredible vision of the sheet where he is told, you can eat that stuff. And Peter, knowing that his purity and his obedience around food laws was really important, announces to God, but I've never broken those rules. And God speaks, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And three times this thing happens. Three times, three times. It's like God's making a little bit of a point. It's the rubber hit the road moment. Don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Don't call anything outside that was never made to be outside in the first place. And then there's a knock on the door from Cornelius's men. There is a knock on the door from the outsiders. There's a knock on the door from the people who are outside. And there is an invitation to Peter to reach beyond where he has ever reached before. And they say this to him. Will you come to Cornelius' house so he can hear what it is you have to say? The outsider reaches to the insider and says, please, tell me what you know. I need to know more about this stuff. And this is the pivotal moment. Because there's always just been one seat at the table. And it's a pivotal moment in the story for Peter, and it was a pivotal moment for the early church. But it's a pivotal moment for the church today, and it's a pivotal moment for us, each of us. It's about our view. It's about the walls that we build. It's about our minds, and it's about our understanding of who God is. First thing, then, is this. Peter 
views people as in or out. He views people as in or out. And I've noticed something about me, but I think it's something that all of us can be guilty of sometimes. And I think it's really clear in Peter as well. That sometimes we are the receivers who have received this incredible acceptance and inclusion from God, actually forget our own story. See, Peter was a character who'd really messed things up, and yet God's love was still for him. But the challenge is, will we view others with that same amount of love and grace that we have received. See, sometimes we, the receivers of inclusion, forget that we have been included. And we end up excluding others. See, there's nothing to fear. And there's nothing to protect. How often do we use the thing that kept us out to keep others out too? How often do we just want to keep it so it's just us? It's just us at the table. And we forget that we were the ones that were included in the first place. There's something that Jesus did all the time, if you read any of the gospel accounts of him at work, where he proved again and again and again this thing that is repeated in this passage in Acts. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. Jesus continually renamed the people that were the outsiders and made them insiders. He renamed them. Think of any encounter that Jesus had with a woman caught in adultery or people, uh, people who were sick and infirm. Daughter, you're healed. You're made whole. Jesus always renamed them. And then he uses them to show everybody else what his grace looks like. That's the story, and it's every story. God uses the tax collectors. God uses the centurions. God uses the sinners. God uses the prostitutes, the ones on the outside, to show the people on the inside that there needs to be more than just one seat at the table. The second thing is this, our walls, our walls. A wall is something that we choose to hide behind. A wall is something that we choose to protect ourselves from an enemy. A wall is something that we hide behind because it makes us feel safe. And Peter had a wall. And his wall was built of laws and regulations. 
His wall was built of his reputation and his respectability. I've never eaten anything unclean. You see, we too have walls that we hide behind. And sometimes we can hold on to stuff so tightly, rules, respectability, the way we've always done things, that it obscures our ability to see the enormity of what God is about. If your prayer is not enticing you outside your comfort zones, if your Christ is not an occasional threat, you probably need to do some growing up and learning to love. If your prayer is not enticing you outside of your comfort zone, there has to be another seat at the table. Our minds. See, Peter thought he'd got it all sewn up. You must have met people who think they've got it all sewn up. I know the answers. I know the answers. Peter thought he'd got it all sewn up, and then God shows him in this incredible vision that he hasn't. And the truth is this, that realizing that we don't know is the key to our transformation. Realizing that we don't know something is the key to our own transformation. But what blocks our growth is an assumption that we already know everything. Can you imagine, some of you work in schools, can you imagine having a child in school who said, no, it's okay, I know everything. That would be totally random. And also slightly worrying. (laughs) Curiosity. Being curious. Pushing yourself beyond what you already know. I, uh, last uh, week when I went round to see Abby and Matthew, I was watching Josiah playing with the Duplo. It was unbelievable. Just how much fun can you have with two Duplo bricks for so long? It's incredible. Working out, how does it fit? How does it go together? See, when you think you know everything, you're never going to learn anything new. But when you're curious, when your mind is opened, the world suddenly becomes something full of of size and space and depth and breadth for you to move into. But so often, when the new thing comes to us, what we want to do is shut it down. I posted something on my Facebook about a week and a half ago, and, um, and then a bunch of comments came in basically saying, that was very wrong. That was wrong. What that person thinks is wrong. I said, isn't that interesting? Just have the conversation. Don't shut it down. But so often, what we want to do is shut down the things that we don't understand. What blocks our growth is an assumption 
that we already know. And Peter thought he already knew. It was just him. But there was more to be sat at the table. See, we all function with a mindset, don't we? We're all entrenched in our own way of thinking. I know best. Do you know people? Maybe it's you. I know best. I know the way that things should be. Why, Why do we like that? Because it's safe. And it means we can just have everything just as we've always wanted it. And it's neat. It's how we like it. But sometimes that's just because we're stuck. And what happens in this story is Peter's thinking is being pushed to change. You thought it was just one seat, but it's more than one. Because this table is bigger than that. Peter's thinking was changing. And sometimes when we hear new stuff that takes us beyond where we've been before, our only reaction is fear. Or we entrench ourselves further back to how we've always thought, no, they're wrong, I'm right. We're fearful. But God disrupts Peter with an outsider and says, Peter, there's other seats. You thought it was just you, but there's other seats at the table. There's other people. And the fourth thing is this. Our view of God. Our view of God. See, Peter had God in his own box. Peter had God in his own box. Someone said this, and I have no idea who it was, but I think it's totally true. Religion is one of the safest places to hide from God. Religion is one of the safest places we can hide from God. It can come so neat and tidy for us in there. We've got God sewn up. We've got everything sewn up. And Peter, in this story, has got God firmly in a box, his box, his shape, how he wants it to be. Often it's our last experience of God that's our biggest obstacle to our next experience. Our last experience of God is often the biggest obstacle to our next experience of who God is. God is always outside the box. God is always outside the box. I am, um, when I was uh, flying on a plane not so long ago, flying on, in, I don't know how you, I wasn't on, um, and I wasn't flying it, but I was on this plane, and I, the coming back over London, just coming in to Heathrow, and there was this. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. It's funny, isn't it? You can suddenly see something, you go, Oh, yeah, God, God is outside of my nice, neat box. 
you go to the heavens, you are there. If you go to the depths, God is there. God is present in the faces of every single person you meet. God is in that breath you just took. God is in the air around us. God is present with us everywhere. And so often we reduce God down into a box that we can understand, which means we're the only ones that sit at the table with God in our box. And God's always been bigger. God's always been more. God's always been beyond. It's like that little girl that went to my friend's house, ran around the house, this big house. And she just went off to explore and discovered a secret door and shouted downstairs to her parents, there's more house. God is always bigger than that size that you have God put into. There's more house. The burning bush. Jacob's vision of the ladder going up to heaven and realizing that God was always in this place. The still small voice, not just in the mighty rushing sound of the wind, but in the still small voice. God is always beyond the box that we put him in. Always. Some of us, we think and we know that we are the outsider. And this whole story, then and now, is about saying to you, this is your table too. This is your table too. You're here too. You're welcome. This is your meal too. You have a place at the table. And just like Jesus renamed and remade every person he encountered, that's for you as well. Jesus renames and he remakes. You have a place at the table. And for some of us, we're the insider. And we need to stop it being just about us. And for some of us, we have experienced inclusion and have forgotten our story of inclusion and instead have excluded others. This story is about insiders making a place and it's about outsiders knowing they are welcome. So God renames, God remakes, God tears down, God disrupts and there are more and more and more and more and more places at the table. The table just gets bigger.
And there's this amazing verse at the end of the reading, verse 23. And in the message it's translated like this. Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. We are all home. Let's pray.